thoroughly. We're in Mark chapter 6. And we're going to take the first six verses. And then I'm going to have Brother Kevin Andino pray after that, if he doesn't mind. And then we'll begin. Mark chapter 6, let's pick it up in verse 1. And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could, not there, he could there do no mighty works, work rather, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went around about the villages teaching. Let's pray. Amen. 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 Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Thank you, brother. Amen. You know, when we talk about the family, we can go all the way back to the beginning where God sanctioned a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, and they had two sons before one was killed. They had a family, and the family was instituted by God as a wonderful, wonderful thing. And then we go to the next family after that, we see Noah and his family, and we see that family was in an ark, but God blessed that family for their faithfulness, amen, through that storm, when that was the only family that survived that storm. Amen? Amen. Then we go to the next family, where that family had a particular set of instructions where to get up and leave your country, I'm speaking in terms of Abraham. And the Lord told Abraham to get out of your father's house into a land that I'm going to show you. Amen? 
Those instructions were not easy for those Mideastern peoples of those times. Just like it's not easy for the Lord to call out a family or a person inside a family this very day. Amen? God sometimes will call a son or a daughter, uh, and the mother and the father will not approve of it. And just like Abraham's parents or perhaps maybe his grandparents, they probably had some things to say about him taking everything, including his nephew Lot, and then getting up and just leaving and going to a land that they didn't even know where they were going. Jesus calls to, uh, to mind the trouble in verse 4 is in an own house sometimes. Tr- family trouble sometimes just happens. Trouble begins in the family. The Lord Jesus Christ in Psalm 69, turn there if you would. I'm not going to, don't worry, I'm not going to lead you to 55 places this morning. We'll we'll try to keep it brief on that, but uh, more on content. Psalm 69, David writes the Psalms, and this Psalm in particular is a messianic Psalm. Verse 8. There's two, there's two people that there's this in reference to. Number one is the writer. Look in verse 8. I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. You're an alien. When you get saved and born again, you're an alien in your house. What are you crazy? You're going to church? It's Uncle Ralph's birthday. Yeah, but I'm going to church. What, what do you mean you're going to church? What is this thing you're going to church? You become an alien. You become an outsider. You become something of a person that's now bearing reproach in your own family. You've taken a stand. Some of you need to take a stand. You won't go anywhere with God in this business of Jesus Christ if you don't take a stand. Now, Pastor Pat, God bless him, he took a stand and came here and then started. For, well, God used him, God started, but he was a vessel that was willing to start this. Maybe he had some family issues that said, what are you doing? You're at that church. Aren't you comfortable? Aren't you content there? No, I'm not. Why? Because God has something for me. It's no different than difference, no difference than as it is today. Human nature doesn't change, it just becomes more wicked. Amen? You know what the problem is today? You're seeing all these new things. There's nothing new under the sun. The mask has just been taken off. Amen? Now we're seeing things before the Lord comes. Evil men shall wax worse and worse. Amen. I'm talking about the family. The family is a good thing. It was given by God. I'm happy for my family. I'm married to a beautiful wife. I have great kids. I have great friends. I have the body of Christ has been good to me. Despite the fighting and the internal things of the body of Christ, we still fight. It's nothing like the lost first family that I was born into. When I got saved, I was born into a new family. You're translated to a new family. I want to show you the life of Jesus Christ and how he grew up this morning. His family. There's not much said about it, to be quite frank. Everybody talks about the primitive years and the formative years. There's tons to say about it. And there's tons to infer, if you might add. But let's go back here. That reference David writes, David was an alien to his brethren. David was the youngest in his family. Did you know that? He, and it was not traditional, nor it was a custom, for the last child to be anointed king of Israel before the firstborn. But Jesse came down with trembling of heart 
and said to Jesse, uh, Samuel came down and told Jesse, is this all your sons? What do you mean, my first? Can you imagine a conversation there? They're having a conversation. Jesse and, and Samuel, what about my firstborn? Um, he's not, hey, look at the size of him, look at him. The Lord has passed over him. After six sons, he says, is there any more, do you have any more sons to give? But he's out, he's out in the field, he's tending sheep. Go call him. See, the Lord doesn't see to things the way we see. The same thing applies in a family, right? In a family, the Lord doesn't see the things that you see. Just because you have a son that's older and talented and gets straight A's and goes to Harvard doesn't mean the second son or the third son's not going to be used by God. Matter of fact, God chooses humble things, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Small things, things that are despised, things, things that are weak, he says. Family. The Lord Jesus Christ talks here in Mark 6, where our text is Mark 6. He's hurt when he's saying these words. He, it, look in verse 6, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Who's their unbelief? That's his, amen, sister. Good. There's four brothers and there's two sisters and a mother that's a believer. Can you imagine what the mother has to put up with every day? The rabbis are knocking on the door. Your son's causing another turmoil. He's causing more trouble. Can't you talk to him? Right? Can you just imagine what's going on? You've got to really put yourself in the days of old Judea where this man is actually out there and he's causing a stir. The Lord Jesus Christ caused quite a stir. I mean, in three years, he changed the upside, turned the world upside down. What about in his own country, in his own village? Can you imagine the harassment that the family had to endure because of Christ? When God works, people are going to get uncomfortable. I married into a family. I have a wonderful wife. I do not have wonderful sister-in-laws. It's almost like I'm going to go through the tribulation right now. That's the tribulation of in-laws. One's worse than the other. There's four of them. It's not easy. It's funny, but it's not going through it. It's not funny. The tears, the trouble, the, the betrayals. <laughs> it's the, the outlandish uh, accusations. It, it, you see demonology like you've never seen it in your entire life. It's a trial. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm preaching this thing, and hopefully you can get something from it. Amen? Family. Family isn't always what it's cracked up to be. But you know something? I'm glad that the family that I have. But you know what's even more special? The family that I've been born into. To me, it takes priority. This family takes priority. Why? Because I get joy. This one day a week that I, get, I wake up and I'm like, I'm going to see this one. I'm going to see that one. I'm going to hear the word of God. I'm going to smack this one on the back, wake him up. I'm going to... I'm going, to get, I'm going to get excited. I'm going to talk maybe some Bible. I'm going to be with my brothers and sisters. Amen? Amen? The new family is much better than the other family, although I love my first family, but it's nothing like the new family. Amen? Amen. Jesus was an alien in his own house. Can you imagine him and his, and his growing up and his brothers and sisters just looking at him? He doesn't, he doesn't curse. He doesn't disobey his parents. He gets straight A's at school. At 12 years old, he's 
turning the Pharisees, or the, he's, they, they can't believe the wisdom of this young kid. He's 12. Meanwhile, he's schooling them on the scriptures, schooling them at 12, schooling them. They're like unbelievable. They can't understand where this kid's wisdom comes from. Mary comes back and she's angry. She says, with tears, and says to him, We've been searching, son, we've been searching for you for four days. He looks at her and says, Didn't you know that I have to be about my father's business? We've sought thee sorrowing. Yeah, but I'm doing my father's business. Family trouble started then. Trouble. You know, it's a, it's a strange thing. You grow up in your family amongst brothers and sisters. You know, I have three. I have two. I have an older brother. I have an older sister. And I have a younger brother. Right? And the very people you were closest with your whole life, they become now your enemies. They're enemies for the gospel's sake. Yeah, the ones that you drank Kool-Aid with, the ones that you watched video games, the ones that you played Atari with, right? We had Atari, I don't know they had Nintendo, I don't know what games they had now. But back then, anybody in 58 here, remember the Atari? We had, we have two games, we had the tennis game and we had the, the hockey game, I think it was. But you were playing then, right? You were out riding your Schwinn bicycles. We didn't have cell phones and computers back then. All of those memories. And then you come up and you get saved and you go back and you talk to them. And they put up a wall as high as Mount Everest. They want nothing to do with you. You say, why? Because they're afraid of the change that happened in you. And they're afraid. Fear. You know, I, I mean, don't you think that's strange? Why, you know, coming to Jesus Christ, to me, it's the most important thing you can do. I mean, you know, it's like it's church on Sunday, not the restaurants, right? I mean, it's proclaiming the gospel instead of going to bingo, right? And on Saturdays, it's Operation Jerusalem, right? Instead of going to the mall, it's, it's you know, it's reading, it's praying instead of texting 12 hours a day. Requires effort. You have to put that thing down. Our Lord Jesus Christ set the precedent about family. Look in Matthew 10, verse 30, 34. All right, Matthew, think not that I'm come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I'm come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. You know, some of you Italian folks, that's a problem for you because your daughter is like the princess. She's like, she, 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 you worship her, Right? And your sons, uh, your sons, everybody, every, every controlling mother has an issue with their sons because you're too controlling. But I'm here to tell you that if there's salvation that comes into your house, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be trouble. Because things are going to change. Things are not going to be the same as they were. 
Look at John 7. You guys all see your Bibles because it looks dark in here. Man, okay. John 7, verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. All right, I want you to remember that verse. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, that's his brethren, that's the four plus the two. Okay. His brethren, therefore, said unto him, Depart thence and go into Judea. What? The place where the Jews were seeking to kill him, they're telling him to go there. Are you They're telling him to go there. Look what their rationale is. That thy disciples may see the works that thou doest. Verse 4, for there is no man. Right, they're trying to use a, a, an educational purpose here. They're trying to get him to go up and, and, and get killed. They're consenting to his death. You see what, you see what you're reading? They didn't believe in him. Look at verse 5. See what unbelief does? For neither did his brethren believe in him. Now, it's early. It's, 30, it's 31. It's 31 going into 32 AD. Time has to elapse. There has to be some transition time. There has to be some understanding. You see... They don't understand. Did Mary tell the four plus the two about the prophecy from Simeon in Luke chapter 2? Was there a discussion about your brother, who he really, really is? Because I'm starting to see here that she might not have. You better talk about the Lord. And not hide them. You, you end up with a disaster like what we're reading. And a family that's supposed to be your cohesion and your glue in life. Amen? Amen. We'll notice the opposition. Then in Mark 3, look back in Mark 3. Now he's starting his ministry. He's, he's out there. He's preaching. This is obviously before Mark 6. But let's just take a look a couple chapters earlier. The time frame on this, 31 AD. Again, we're moving from 30 to 33 in a three-year span of time in his ministry with the unbelieving family. Mark chapter 3. Let's look in 31 to 35. He's preaching. He's testifying. He's rebuking the Pharisees. They're accusing him of being of Beelzebub. Verse 22 and all the way down. The scribes which came down from Jerusalem said he had Beelzebub and from the prince of the devils cast out the yeah, devils. I mean, they're railing on the Lord. And guess who shows up? Let's look in verse 31. 
There came then his brethren and his mother. It's an intervention. Do you know what an intervention is? Those are for wrongdoers. Jesus isn't doing wrong. He's doing right. But they're coming to intervene anyway. Why? Because he's stirring the pot. He's stirring up all jewelry. He's, he's saying doctrines. He's saying that he's the son of man. He's saying, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Who says that? It's not in a mosaic law. Can you imagine the rabbis knocking on the mother's door and she's opening it up and they're all coming to her? This happens. And his mother, and standing, verse 31, and standing without, sent to him, calling him. He's, he's doing his work. He's preaching and they're interrupting him. They're having an intervention. 32, and the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. Now the Jews have stirred up the multitude. They're against Christ. The, the family is there, causing a stir, trying to take the Lord out and intervene from his mission. You better be careful, parents, about what you're doing with your kids. You know, the work of God is invisible. You can't see it, but it happens inside. The Holy Spirit shows us this in Colossians. It talks about spiritual circumcision. A knife went in you and cut your soul away from your body one day, but that was the operation of God, but you can't see that. Nor can you see the work that God is doing inside you or your kid or parents with unbelieving kids. It works the same way. And the multi... Verse 33, and he answered them saying, who is my mother or my brethren? Wow. And he looked round about on them which sat about him and said, behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and mother. Wow. Transition. Transition. Talking about a new family. He's not, he, he loves his family. Understand what's going on. He's prioritizing his mission. Amen. He's prioritizing this translation. He's showing what the new family is all about. Those that will do the will of God. It's a process of doing. They're going to do something. As the scriptures move from 31 AD to 32, then we go to 33, we see that indeed we see a big shift that happens. Jesus gets condemned and he's given a death sentence and now the unbelief in the family starts to change. Well, he was annoying and we had to try to intervene, but now he's, they're going to they're gonna put him to death? What? We're going to lose our brother? It's not, until you, it's not until you're going to lose something do you get serious. Amen? They're getting ready to lose their brother. Hey, listen, this is a family here, matter here we're talking about. This is a family that watched an innocent man and an innocent brother who met all the criteria of Isaiah 53 without opening his mouth in a perfect testimony, not answering railing for railing, not being a New Yorker like we would be, or a New Jerseyite, either or. This is a perfect sinless. They're starting to say, think the tide is changing. Sometimes you gotta let time 
evolve. You've got to let God work. You've got to let God work. So we see him get condemned. We see Christ. Now he's in Pilate's judgment hall. He's, he's bloody from head to toe. Not opening his mouth. And just then, Mary remembers an old man in Luke 2. Simeon, by name. Telling her that this moment was going to happen. He says in Luke 2.35, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You know who those hearts were? It was the four and the two. It was the family. The hearts got pierced. They heard the Sermon on the Mount. They saw him turn water to wine. They saw him heal the blind, the deaf. They saw him feed 5,000. They saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. They go home. What do we? They open the book. They read Isaiah 53. Mary sits James down, sits his keister in a seat, and tells him about Simeon, and I'm going to prove that in Scripture in a minute, in a couple minutes. I'm going to prove that to you. But it's James, the Lord's brother, who was an unbeliever, who was among that six, who consented to his death, who didn't believe in him in John chapter 7. Time has now gone by. And boy, what things time does. It heals all wounds. It's supposed to heal all wounds. In this case, it does. Mary remembers those words 33 years earlier as if it was just yesterday. And she begins reading Isaiah 53. I'm, th- I'm speculating. This is preaching right? we're doing here. Okay? But I'll tell you, dollars for donuts. Bible study was going on during that time. Those kids were rereading the book of Isaiah, and they were looking at him. Let's look at Isaiah 53 real quick here. Let's, let's just take a look back. Let's just take a look. Let's see what he was doing. Let's see what they were looking at. Verse 1, chapter 53. Who hath believed our report? It's a question. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender, as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. You know what that dry ground was? That was his family of unbelief. Fertile soil brings forth fruit. Dry ground brings forth unbelief. It says here, verse 2, he hath, it says that he was, shall grow up. Where did he grow up? He grew up amidst unbelief. You know what they were doing? They were looking at this and saying, probably scratching their heads. They were saying he matches these qualities. It says here, He's despised and rejected of men. They stay. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. They said, didn't we do that too? Didn't we hide our faces from him? Didn't we treat him disproportionately? Did, did, what didn't we? How did we, what, did, what were we thinking earlier? What did we do? What were we thinking? You say you're making speculation. No. No, you're going to see an Acts, and you're going to see an Acts 1, you're going to see Acts 15 play out. There's no speculation. This is what was going on in Jesus Christ's own personal family, where he had, he had one extreme, and now the tide is turning. Amen? You know, it's not always going to be unbelief. It's not always going to be rainy days. There's going to be sunshine. There's going to be a family that blossoms one day. May not be today, may not be next year. Took my dad uh, 20 years to get saved. I'll see him again. I'll see my mom, who I was at odds with, unfortunately, my whole life. I'll see her again. I'll see my old brother. He's alive still. He's not living for the Lord. But he got on his knees one day in Williamsburg, Virginia, and he asked the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, well, Kev, what do I got to do? I said, let's, let's pray. And he asked the Lord, and then I flew back to New York, and I get the call at 3.30 in the morning. They've been fighting. He's drinking, she's drinking. He's talking about Jesus Christ, telling Rose, he wants her, I want you to tell her what you told me. That's salvation. I don't care if he was doing this or not. That means nothing to me. What means everything to me is to see the belief. It takes time for the family to come around sometimes. And you just, when you live your life and your Christian life, repeat this prayer after me, one, two, three, do after me. That doesn't always work. That's not to quench your zeal. That's not to quench your soul winning efforts. That's not to quench any of that. But you've got to let the Holy Spirit do the work because you're not the Holy Spirit. So they look at this Isaiah 53, the family now, torn apart because Jesus Christ is in Pilate's Hall, bloodied, beaten, pummeled, swollen. And behind the scenes, the one who's studying this whole thing out is James. He's in the back. He's thinking, that's him. That is him. How come I didn't believe my mother? Well, she said it half-heartedly, but maybe perhaps she didn't want to offend the kids by keep telling it, you know. But she told James about Simeon. We're going to read that in a minute. He went back. It's my contention that he reread the Old Testament. He saw his brother. He said, oh my goodness, what have I done? Maybe Simon did the same thing. Maybe Jude did the same thing. Who knows? Acts chapter 1, verse 14, the role there in the upper room. All of them. Yes, all of them. One family became another family. Now, James, something happened to the family. Look in John chapter 19. 
It's never to be done. Jewish and Italians are very similar. Who's Italian? Raise your hand. And do we have any Jewish folks here? Raise your hand. Please, raise the reason both. Good. They're very similar. The matriarch is very important. The matriarch runs the show. No disrespect to the patriarch. But the mate runs the family, right? Like all mothers do run the, run the house. They all do. Let's be honest. Amen? My wife does. In John 19, Jesus is on the cross. Verse 26. Let's, take it, let's just go one verse back, verse 25. So we're in John 19, 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother. There she is. There she is. And his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother... And the disciples standing by whom he loved, that's John. We all are in agreement. Raise your hand. That's the, God, that's, the, that's the Apostle John. He says over and over, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. Who's John a type of? He's a type of the church. The, well, probably the type in the Bible of the church. In verse 26, whom he, he saith unto his, woman, his mother, woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, that's to John, Behold thy mother. He's talking about Mary. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. What? You're taking my mother out of my house? It was never done. Mary gets taken away from the house, the matriarch, as a final blow against his family? Remember, Translation. The Lord is showing his own brothers and sisters that your mother is no longer your own. She belongs to the, she's in the church now. She's part of the, she's part of the church. You go from one family to another. Can you imagine what the sentiment was? Can you just imagine the hurt? How could you go to another, he's, yeah, he's a friend of the family. We know, the, we know our brother loved him. Why are you leaving us? Because your brother told me to go. The Lord told me to go one day out of my house. And I left. And I never went back. And through that obedience, I, had, I got married to my wife. I ended up in seminary. I ended up as a young minister. And here I am today. Still reading, still praying, and still have the ability to share the gospel. That's a high calling. You might be a doctor. You might be a lawyer. Right? You might be an accountant. But to me, there's no greater calling in my life than to be able to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. What was going on at the family? That was the last straw. That was the straw that broke the camel's back, I think. James was destroyed. The family was destroyed. Mom's no longer home. She's been taken away. Mary was taken from him. Why? Partially to deliver her from unbelief and partially to deliver her from all of that backbiting and all of that noise that had been gone on for years 
perhaps the family had come around to complete, but this was the final straw. Mary was taken and put into John's household under John's care when there were six that were able to take care of her. You know what the Lord thinks about your family? Without him being in your family, he doesn't think much. If you don't have the Lord Jesus Christ in a relationship, if you're in here today and you were in a family, praise God, you were given a family to be born into. Some people don't have families. They're orphans. They're in, they're in orphanages. How blessed are you? But what's the teaching this morning? What's the preaching about? It's about the family that you're born into. You're born once and you're born again. You're born from there, you transition from here, you transition over to here. And it plays out in the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not the end of James. Look at Acts chapter 14. Look at Acts chapter 1. Uh, we'll start in 13. Two verses. Verse 13, and when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. They're in the house. They made it. <laughs> they translated, amen? They went from one extreme to another. You say, well, why can't that happen to me? Because you're not the Lord. And it's not going to happen in three years. We're flesh. The Lord is without, a, without blemish. He was a, bland, a lamb. Without blemish, without spot. And that's how that was accomplished, by his example, by his life, by his endless life. You know, they saw something. They saw what the mother was talking about. They remember the childhood. They remember Isaiah. They remember they saw him on the cross crying, praying, praying. They heard the conversation, perhaps, about him forgiving the thief on the cross and saying, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. It was too much, and then the last of Mary was taken. Household is now believing. Amen? And then we have in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, Paul writes these interesting words. Um... Very interesting, if we could just glance. All right, so 1 Corinthians 15, death, we read the burial, that's verse 3 and 4. 
rose again the third day, end of verse 4. Verse 5, here it is. And that he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter. Yeah, Peter had to get a visitation. Why? Because he, remember, unbelief. He got mad at the Lord. Denied him three times. Isn't it interesting that the Lord appears to all of those in a post-resurrection format to the people that were or had seasons of unbelief and doubt or that were unbelievers, period. He appears to Paul, who was Saul in Acts chapter 9. He falls off the horse. And Saul becomes the greatest Christian that this world has ever seen. And we see the Lord come and visit Peter after his fall. And he's weeping. And he wants to get right with God and the Lord. And he comes and the Lord makes an appearance to him. And at the end of the book of John, he takes him aside and asks him three times. Peter, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than all these? He says, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He says, feed my lambs. Lambs were meant to, to be offered up. That's your first thousand years of Christianity. They all died. Simon, son of thy Jonas, lovest thou me? Lord, you know that I love thee more than these. Feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of thou Jonas, lovest thou me? He says, Lord, he was grieved because he asked him. He was grieved because he asked him the third time. And he appears here. Verse 6. Then of the 12, verse 5, of course, Individually, we're talking. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James. He had made a special appearance to his brother. Probably to sum up what happened on the cross. No doubt. You say, it's not in there. It's not scripture. You dog, I got doctrine heads all over me now. Ah, it doesn't say that. You can infer that. Can you imagine if we were a fly on the wall to hear that conversation? I'd give anything. I'd give, my, I'd give my kidney. I would. You can live on one kidney, amen? Here. I want to be a fly. <laughs> I want to hear the conversation. If it was in English, not in Hebrew, amen? Because I'm dumb as a box of rocks. I, can, I barely get by with English. I had to do it to translate to show you who I was. And James said, I'm sorry for doubting that's not the end of James. It's not the end of James. Doubting Thomas gets a visit in John chapter 20. Thomas, I won't believe unless I throw the, see, put my fingers in the nails and my hand in his side. Bingo, the Lord shows up. After eight days, it says in John chapter 20, verse 26. Thomas gets his, he says, Thomas, do you believe now? And he says, be, don't be faithless, but believing. Four times the Lord appears. Fourfold mention, we, we, I'm sure Pastor Pat teaches that. Fourfold mention. That's not the end of James. Come to James, uh, come to Acts 15. Did you know that James, he not only gets saved, but he, he grows. This is the Lord's brother we're talking about. 
This is the part of that man that was in an unbelieving family. This is the one that consented unto his death. This is the one in John 7, it says, neither did his brethren believe in him. He got a post-resurrection appearance. And in John, uh, Acts chapter 15, look in Acts 15. It's 52 A.D. 19 years have gone by. James was probably in his early, very early 30s. He's now pushing 50. He's probably got a family of his own, no doubt, with grown kids. And he's the head of the church in Jerusalem. Woo! God blessed him. Tears my heart up. I love to see happy endings. Acts 15. We're looking at verses 13. James, I have a footnote here. James, the brother of Jesus, makes the final decision. And he does. This is about the gospel to go to the Gentiles. Did you know the Lord's brother was involved in the decision for your salvation? Did you know that? Some of you did, maybe some of you didn't. But let's look at it, verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, that's the Lord's brother, Saying, men and brethren, hearken unto me. What's the first thing that he says? Simeon! There it is. He's going all the way back to when he was in that first family of unbelief. When he heard the mother talk about the visit from an old man that came into the temple that day, and told her some scary things. And he, she sat, that, sat his keister down and said, this is about the mid-time when the, when the Lord was dealing with the family about believing. And she had a family meeting and she talked about Simeon. The first words out of James' mouth. In Acts chapter 15, he talks about who? Simeon. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree, the words of the prophet says, it is written, after this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, verse 19, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication, good things to stay away from, amen, and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city then that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Then it pleased the apostles and elders, verse 22, with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas and Silas, 
chief men among the brethren. James made the indirect decision to go forward for the gospel to the Gentiles. From an unbeliever to a believer to growth to leadership. What, what a turn of events in the scriptures that we see about the family, amen? Hey, if you're in here today, if you're visiting, you're in a family, you've been blessed, praise God, you've been part of a family, you're blessed in America to be part of a family. But there's another family to consider, one that requires the new birth that we just heard the whole time about, about transitioning, about being born again. We don't use that word lightly. I hear today all these stories about being, he's a born again, he's one of the born agains. This what is one of these born agains. You're either born again or you're not. You're in or you're out, right? You went into the ark, you were in. You didn't, you did out, you're knocking, you're not getting in. You're in Christ or you're not in Christ, amen? Your family is now, the priority of your life is now Christ in you, the hope of glory. Your priority is now Christ. Jesus Christ is now your priority. And you young people that are here today, your priority is not going to change. You've got, your lesson, you've got your orders from the Lord about your family. And you can love your mom and you can love your dad, and I hope you do. And praise God, I love my mom and dad. My dad's in heaven. I, I, oh, it was, I, had to, I, I, I crowded him to Christ. I didn't let him breathe, the poor guy. He got saved. He said, Kevin, I believe what you're saying to me. Because the Jehovah's Witnesses knocked on my door the two weeks after I said that prayer upstairs. I said, that's not a bad sign, Dad. That's good. What am I saying today as I close? The family. What family you belong to? I'm thankful that I have this family. And I'm thankful that I'm here today. And I'm thankful that you had me in. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for this book. Thank you for your words. Thank you for your love and kindness. Thank you for your, your, your goodness and, Lord, your care. And, Lord, I ask you to bless this time, bless the remainder of the day, and bless the word of God as it goes out. And continue to use your word and bless Pastor Pat and all the brethren that are here. Bless the First Bible in New Jersey. Thank you so much. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. We're just, we're spoiled kids. Well, we thank you, Father, for all you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.